0: Everybody, welcome back to Historic Light, an independent Masonic show focused on the historical events and aspects within Freemasonry. As always, I'm your host, Brother Alex Powers, uh, past master of Gardner Lodge number 65, Gardner, Kansas, current DDGM for 9A, and director of the Kansas Lodge of Research. Uh, if you don't mind, Brother Robert, I'll hand it over to you, our co host, Robert Marshall. Uh, if you can go ahead and introduce yourself.
1: Robert Marshall here, past master of Waco Lodge 92, current secretary. Uh, i'm the deputy director of the kansas lodge of research an academic historian so uh i take this stuff way too seriously um (laughs) let's see in in some parts i'm known as rasputin and other parts i'm known as the traveling traveling man and uh really excited for tonight's episode
0: wonderful thank you for joining us again brother and our special guest this evening this is pretty cool First time we've had on the show a non-Mason. Uh, we have with us tonight, uh, I was going to call you brother, I guess that's weird, we haven't <laughs> had a non-Mason on here, but Ainsley Heilig, I mm-hmm. don't want to mess that up again, Heilig, and uh, he is from the Odd Fellows, and uh, basically we met online talking about the, uh, the whole goat um, deal, and uh, he has some interesting uh, history behind it that he wants to share with us tonight. Before we jump into all that, I want to hand it over to you to further introduce yourself.
2: All right, cool. Um, like you mentioned, uh, my name's Ainsley and I am an Odd Fellow. I am um, a member of Tuscola 316 in Tuscola, Illinois. Uh, we're right in the middle of the cornfields. Um, and I have been a member for a little bit over five years now and the lodge has been back from uh, its dormant state for over four years now. It had initially closed in the fifties and we got it going again. So, yeah.
0: Very cool. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And I am really stoked for this conversation. Robert, are you?
1: Absolutely.
0: <laughs> yeah. Like I said, this is the first time we've had a non Mason and first time we've had an odd fellow on the show, which uh, is a subject that I've been really intrigued with for a while. Um, as anyone that knows anything about Odd Fellows, there's some neat similarities, which I'm not sure how deep they go since I'm not, um, but from face value, there's some really cool similarities between the two organizations. So hopefully we get a chance to address that tonight. Um, typically when we launch these shows, we start off with a couple leading questions. Um, we're gonna switch those up just slightly this evening Um, But starting off, I would like to know, do you have any connection to Freemasonry uh, within your family history or anything?
2: I have had, uh, you know, deceased relatives that were members that um, I never met them or anything. They had passed before I came around. But I I do have like a great grandfather who was like a 32nd degree Mason, past master, all that good stuff. Um, But Other than that, I really don't have any family ties, really, to any fraternal groups other than, you know, maybe some masons here and there. But like I said, they were deceased before I came around. So other than, you know, somebody's old sword that my dad has or like an apron or something, that's really all I had growing up with it. So
0: Very cool. Well, on the flip side of that, within uh, Oddfellows, I know you say you didn't have any other family connections. you not have any uh, family connections within Oddfellows either?
2: Not at all. Um, I actually kind of came into it quite by accident. Uh, The building that I co-owned with my business partner was a former Oddfellows Lodge. And when we got the building, we knew that going into it, but I didn't know anything about the organization and we found a bunch of collars kind of stuffed up in a crawl space and that just kind of started me down that journey of w- what is this stuff and i just got hooked from there and sure. now i'm just really i've got myself really really embedded in deep so but i love it it's it's been great it's been a great ride
0: that's awesome well i think uh, me and robert and so many uh people watching the show can definitely um, kind of feel where you're coming from that on the Masonic side, mm-hmm. just uh, being able to connect with it on a certain level and then just getting drawn in way deeper than you ever thought you would be. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's like talk or something. <laughs> yeah. Right. Quicksand. <laughs> so was it pretty much that lure that just drew drew you to Odd Fellows or what did you know about it before you joined that really attracted you to it?
2: I really, really connected with the symbolism and the idea of being in, i had been kind of looking for something to kind of fill that group activity niche that I hadn't had since I had graduated high school back in the late 90s. Um, I was really huge in band. So I was a big band gate marching band, all that kind of stuff. And after you know, after you graduate high school or college or whatever, and you don't have those kind of group activities where you're working with a bunch of people towards a common goal. And I kind of missed that. And this just really was like, this could be that thing that kind of fills that hole that I'd had for, you know, going on 20 years. And, um, I found, you know, some people that kind of had the same kind of feelings and got enough people together to get the lodge going again. I had been a member of a lodge that was nearby for about a year and a half almost probably about two years before decided to take the plunge to go through the process of rechartering um the lodge that had been closed for 65 years so but wow all back together and yeah so that's yes. pretty
0: cool so on that topic because uh, we kind of like i said there's so many similarities right but within that rechartering lodge and stuff. How, how do you go about that? What's that process like on the Oddfellow side?
2: It's probably, probably pretty similar. Um, I don't have any, you know, idea of what your chartering process is, but we need, like you need 15 people. Um, they like five of them to be third degree members so they can hold office right away if possible. Um, if not, they'll go through a degree day to get the people up to the, um, you know, up to the third degree. And um, the state, um, the Grand Lodge in Illinois is very strong and they're very involved. So it's definitely having a good Grand Lodge is vital to getting, you know, getting a lodge charter. Um, so definitely had a lot of support from the Grand Lodge and just kind of had to do the, you know, the groundwork of getting enough people to sign on and, you know, some other paperwork type stuff. but. Really, all in all, like it took us maybe like you know i don't know maybe like three, four months to do, so we had the space already, we just had to kind of get it back in shape, looking like a lodge again, you know, because it had been a junk room for probably you know decades and decades, sure. so it was it was had not much similarity to what a lodge room it was just a big, empty canvas, basically, so kind of taking that and trying to turn it into what it would feel like had that continuity not been broken is sure. kind of the goal that I had with it.
0: That's awesome, man. So I know we were talking before the show. We unfortunately here in Kansas really don't have a strong uh, Odd Fellows population, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, they've always really kind of gotten my attention just because at least in rural communities, we notice that a lot of Masonic Lodges got their start by leasing space from the Oddfellows. And that, mm-hmm. that always astonished me, at least here in Kansas. I know there's, you know, obviously places within the United States where Oddfellows is still massively huge. Um, but, you know, for it to die off so much here, it used to be so much bigger than masonry in these parts that, mm-hmm. you know, Masonic Lodge came to be. That's the first place they went. They went and leased space because it was uh, so easily uh, accessible and usable for Uh, their degrees. They just kind of intermeshed with the the layout. Um, Robert, what's it like up, or I'm sorry, down in your area with the Oddfellow population? Uh,
1: There are still Oddfellow lodges. There are a few members of uh, my Masonic lodge that are Oddfellows and active. Uh, I I would also say in in comparing to what you've experienced, uh, it seems from my research to have been more common for oddfellow lodges to rent from Masonic lodges down here uh, when they were getting their starts. Uh, But regardless, the the, the important point there is that they were sharing buildings. However, uh, around the late 1800s, it starts popping up in our proceedings where uh, uh, for whatever reason, the Masonic lodges were finding this to be a, uh, uh sketchy thing so they actually passed a law disallowing masonic lodges from letting any non-masonic entity rent their lodges which uh, effectively included churches and schools and uh, literally anything Uh, but that conversation is has currently been reopened and it looks like maybe that'll be uh, uh returned back to its original state
0: but for now it's still like that on the books
1: that's correct Yep. we're actually in, in Texas. We're not allowed to rent out our lodge room to anything non Masonic ever, not even a one time event. Wow. Uh, the rest of the building may be rented out to other things. Uh, if there's no door from the part of the building that's being rented to the part of the building that has the lodge room. Texas got real crazy about it for some reason.
0: That's interesting. So basically just kind of the banquet hall and extra rooms. You guys can make your rental fees with, I guess. That's great. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. We're, uh, we're not strict on, on that so far in Kansas, but, um, yeah, pretty much all the small lodges we find around here, they, they all started predominantly in, in odd fellows halls. Um, few of them I found a uh, lease space from like a Knights of the or something like that. But, uh, yeah, it's intriguing. Um, just unfortunately, today, I, I know there's, there's still a Grand Lodge meets every year in Topeka per their website. Um, mm-hmm. I found about five lodges that say they're active, but I've tried to contact them, um, You know, partly out of curiosity, partly when I was doing research for our lodge book, um, just to see if we could match up any, uh, any records or anything. Um, But I can't even get them to contact me. So I just, I don't think it's a a strong population left here in Kansas, unfortunately, but I'm definitely intrigued with the organization. Like I said, there's, there's a lot of kind of blended lines there, so to speak, but a lot of history as well. I mean, both the orders go quite far back. Before we jump into the the meet tonight, um, would you mind just for those that are curious, tell us a little bit about the uh, Odd Fellows organization and uh, about a standard lodge meeting? Okay, so
2: I'll first preface it with uh, my, my, my credentials. Um, so I'm a past grand of my lodge and I'm the current acting noble grand, which is, you know, like the head of your lodge, the worshipful master and um, I am on the sovereign grand wa- Lodge. Um, I'm on the communications committee. So if you go on the website, I built the website and everything. And so, if whoever sends any messages through the contact form of the website, um, I'm the I'm the lucky guy you'll be talking to on that end. So, um, I, I donate quite a few hours out of my week to doing all the website, social media type, you know, posting type stuff. But um, the Odd Fellows Lodge is probably set up pretty darn close to a masonic lodge it's a pretty universal kind of arrangement that any um, fraternal group tends to kind of you know if you go back to the foresters and the gardeners and all those guild-based organizations probably all have that same kind of square around the room set up Um, and I think like the one thing that people do they do notice that there are a lot of similarities which there are but there's also a lot of differences as well. And a lot of times we get painted as like a a copy or something like that, which there was probably a lot of crossover influences and I'm definitely not one to deny inspiration or members of both bringing things to back and forth. But it's definitely not a copy and it definitely grew out of a specific need that was present in England in the 1700s You know, in the enlightened era going, you know, going forward and they were a group made up of There's a couple different stories based on what you want to, you know, subscribe to, but somewhere in the middle is the truth, of course, but I like to go the one I believe that seems the most logical is they were made up of skilled workers from the minor trades that were not large enough to have a guild of their own and so they kind of started coming together to form almost like their own security net that they weren't eligible to have because they weren't operative in any of these trades they were you know tinkerers they were the lesser kind of polished trades that didn't have a higher skill set they were kind of a uh, You know, like the blue-collar guys that just, you know, went and did their job and would travel around and need help finding jobs in different towns, and the lodge would help them to do that. Because they're, I think, like the first uh, written. I think it's the 1738. I want to say is the first newspaper writing that mentions a lodge, Loyal Aristus Lodge Number Nine. I think I'm probably butchering that, so don't quote me on that. Something. Something in that neighborhood. So if there were nine lodges by around 1740, then that means going back a little bit more. There were some lodges and then At one point, there were about 20 different odd orders before they started congealing into the larger orders together and eventually became the the bigger groups, which are the Grand United order of odd fellows, which is still around today and the Manchester Unity Independent Order of Odd Fellows, which is also still around today in England, and the um, Wilde, Thomas Wilde's uh, Independent Order of Odd Fellows, which started in 1819 in Baltimore. And that's the largest, most active group today that is the worldwide organization that when people talk about Odd Fellows, they generally are gonna be speaking of the Thomas Wilde American Odd Fellowship, which then spread worldwide. And uh, so here we are, yeah, 200 years later this year is um, for our particular branch is how long we've been going. So, but really it's, you know, we're probably closing in on 300 for Odd Fellowship in general. But there's a couple definite, even though we have degrees and things like that and initiation, it's structured a lot. The the philosophy is a lot different. Um, The approach is a lot different. so definitely if, once you do get into ritualistic type things, it's definitely that like the, the first look like, okay, we both have symbols, we both, you know, sit in a lodge in a certain arrangement and have titles and wear regalia, but then it just diverges from there. Once you actually start looking at the actual meat of both orders and seeing that, no, they aren't, one's not copying the other, there are definitely uh, two separate arms of the same fraternal animal to kind of maybe think about it like that. And that's why so many people were members of both and today are members of both because they get different things out of each group that, you know, masonry might provide them one thing, but being a odd fellow provides another experience that they're looking for. So there's definitely a lot of members out there that are, that are both and you'll yeah. see that, you know, even going back on the old watch bobs and headstones and you'll see the, the compass square and links together. Right. So I, I think definitely like the groups have a long history of being hand in hand and just kind of got away from that. So even Albert Pike, he was, he started off, he was an odd fellow first before he became a that's Mason. Right. Yeah. So, I did read that. That's yeah.
0: interesting. Yeah. No, that's a, that's a good point that you bring up about, you know, the, the copy factor because going through our lodges history, we had quite a few of our charter members um, that were members of both. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, probably largely led to why we leased space them uh, from them for so long. Uh, And I, you know, Robert saying they have members even today that are uh, within both there. So yeah, that's interesting. I guess one question I would have, um, you said with the makeup originally of, you know, several smaller guilds or whatever in Freemasonry, you know, it's very predominantly off of the, uh, the layout of the operative stonemasons. Do you have any, feel of that how would that like uh transpose into the odd fellows like what what's the feel of your ritual i guess without giving it away
2: i would say um definitely like our ritual itself has been kind of over the years kind of evolved as far as the three degrees go they've been kind of they started off a little bit more um kind of a little bit more astrological, and then it started getting a little bit more into Old Testament-ish. So like nowadays, they're definitely a little bit more Old Testament kind of Bible stories, but the initiation is definitely, that's our unique kind of standalone kind of moment that is completely our own and unique. And it's definitely not really based around occupation. It's more based around just a call to something larger, it's all around the memento mori and you have this much time on your earth, what are you gonna do with it? And that's what it boils down to is you're gonna die, you could die tomorrow, you could die in 70 years, you don't know, but what are you gonna do? And that's really what it boils down to is what are you gonna do with your time on earth? Are you gonna be selfish? Or are you gonna try to become a better person by helping others? Right. Yeah.
0: Well, Robert, so you, you've got more of a uh, more current connection to Fellows in some which way, I guess, with you knowing guys in your lodge that are uh, mixed over. Um, what, what questions come to your mind?
1: What questions come to my mind? Uh,
0: you know, uh, I wonder,
1: uh, is there any sense of, uh, oh, I don't know how to put it, but... Uh, so on the Masonic side, there's sometimes chips on guys' shoulders when talking about other social societies of, uh, like you mentioned, you guys get cast in the light of it being a knockoff. Do you do do you see generally that odd fellows kind of feel almost attacked with that sort of description often being laid on them?
2: It's actually kind of more of like kind of a, eh kind of a shrug a shoulder shrug. (laughs) If you like look at if you go, you know, on Facebook and stuff and look through the, the message threads and the comments and stuff generally, you'll see that like everybody's really for the most part is not too concerned with what other groups, you know, or whatever say about us or think about us because there's well, a there's probably a lot of detachment of a lot of the members from even knowing that people think that sort of thing. So there's that. But there's also, you know, people that, you know, we, we kind of understand that we're the underdog group going like forward where we are right now we've kind of secret society ourselves to death for lack of better words. <laughs> you know, we, we, we didn't do a good job in the 20th century of uh, keeping our name out in the, you know, the public uh, conscience. And so I, I don't, you know, I, I feel like the conversation does come up and nobody has any kind of ill, like kind of feelings towards, you know, obviously masonry being the, the biggest group um, towards those groups thinking that it's like a knockoff. It's more of like a, oh, well, if, if they, they would know, they would know better if they really got to know us kind of thing. And mm-hmm. we, we, we know how at face value it does you know any lodge group is going to look like the same kind of thing you know if you got a handshake and a password and funny you know funny titles and you sit in a room and put on ropes and stuff it's gonna at face value look like you know but it's i don't think we really have any you know i don't know i don't know exactly
1: bad what taste in your mouth kind of yeah thing. no
2: not at all yeah. i think it's like we 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 recognize from the outside how that can be the interpretation, but also knowing that the reality is different.
1: Yeah, it is what it is, right? Yeah. Uh, so so uh, out of curiosity, uh, I, I pulled up uh, an Oddfellow's history page and it actually mentions that George IV is considered to have been the first or one of the first uh, crossovers uh, mm-hmm. who was also a Mason and an Oddfellow, which is pretty interesting. Uh, Uh, Since he was king uh, in the 1820s and coming to power in the 1810s, which for Freemasonry is an interesting era, that's when our uh, first two Grand Lodges or two of the first Grand Lodges united and became what we call the United Grand Lodge of England. While I was looking at that, I saw that about 30 years prior, you had uh, a couple of the leading oddfellow Grand Lodges uniting and referring to themselves as a united grand order. Uh, Mm. I've never seen any suggestion that uh, the example made by the uh, Odd Fellows doing that influenced uh, Freemasonry to do it, but I'd sure uh, enjoy running down that rabbit hole to see if there were any known connections.
2: Yeah, there's definitely a lot of kind of stuff that was like simultaneously within like A couple decades of each other like in the 1850s we started the Rebecca's and then I think 10 years later the Eastern Star came around so there's you know we kind of started doing the orphanages and the old folks homes and then the Masons were like oh that's a good idea maybe we should do some (laughs) of that so there's definitely a lot of a little bit of like who did this first who did you know so it's and when you start kind of looking at that, it's like maybe okay, the the Masons are the the big granddaddy of them all that has outlasted everybody else and still has the largest uh, kind of awareness. But then you know there are these other little kind of little groups that kind of trickled along and kind of were bigger or smaller and kind of everybody influenced everybody. And sure. it's it's definitely you know it's it's good to definitely not think of it as a competition, but more of like just like, like I say, like different arms on the same paternal animal that we're all working towards a,
1: the common good. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so I didn't mean to point it in a who who had a United Grand Order first right. reason, uh, So much as uh, I guess realizing uh, in the moment uh, the great potential value in having the two similar organizations mm-hmm. that are still unique and being able to implement ideas in one as a sort of testing ground. Uh, and if it works out, as you said, for example, with the, the orphanages, uh, that was a, a tremendous success uh, that the Odd Fellows uh, were, were apparently doing first. Uh, The Masons were able to uh, see the value in doing it and try it out themselves. I I, I think it's an interesting dynamic going there. Oh,
2: yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you look at any sort of um, trends as far as like even like today with business and people jumping on the same train that like, you know, oh, well, they're doing this. I better with my business start doing something. So, I mean, there's definitely a lot of back and forth and kind of borrowing from each other just Mm -hmm. as far as as the groups grew and got bigger and had more lodges and they needed to kind of organize in one way or another. And I'm sure with Freemasonry, those first few decades, once they did kind of get under those grand lodges started off rough as heck. And it took like a couple decades to kind of get everything sorted out and everybody who couldn't uh, agree to get them to kind of cut some sort of agreement on how we're going to move forward.
1: Which, oh, well, you'll have, to, uh, uh, you'll have to probably wait to find out what that's like because we're still trying to figure out how to agree 300 years later.
2: Uh, yeah, yeah, well, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> we, could, we could agree on, on, on some things and on other things. And that's, you know, the progress goes, it's you know, slow one year at a time, baby steps, because you have to wait to the next session to be able to make any more progress. And yeah, it's, it's definitely a, a slow evolving behemoth. Mm-hmm. That it's yeah but it's just it, it definitely it's a slow process and kind of plunders along which these days it, it's it can be frustrating and yeah the, in the t- you know the 2020 era versus you know 200 years ago it was you know you had the time to do that but
1: uh, I'd be curious to ask so uh, you've touched on uh, the term odd fellows how it was uh, almost in a sense of of guys who are uh, kind of odd job type of people mm-hmm. who uh, maybe wouldn't have had the numbers as a as, as a different guild or what have you. Uh, but the 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 first letter, Independent uh, mm-hmm. Order of Odd Fellows, uh, I find it interesting that they found that word to be so important that they should uh, include it in the uh, official name of the organization. Uh, is is there some kind of uh, known uh, inspiration for wanting to tell the world we're independent.
2: So, whenever they started, you know, like like I mentioned earlier, there were like a couple dozen, up to yeah. upwards, you know, twenty or so different Odd Fellow orders, and um, so the independent name started showing up in the early eighteen hundreds, and I think. I want to say maybe Manchester unity was the first to use the independent order of oddfellows name under it. And they chose to use that because to show that they were separate from any political organization. They weren't, you know, anything under the crown, they weren't working against the crown, they weren't affiliated with any church. Because at that time, England definitely was very suspicious of any groups of people that were organized in any manner working against the church or working against the crown and so they had to be careful and when they were getting organized to make sure they weren't going to put themselves in any sort of danger because you know a lot of the oath the what was it the Oaths act or something that they had were yeah 1798 around or so yep. I, I think it was a way to show that they were not, they were independent of political or sectarian influences. Mm-hmm. And it was this own separate thing that was purely for the purposes they prescribed and that there was no other you know function. It's not an arm of the church. It's not a secret arm of a political movement working to dethrone the, the king or queen. So, and also it established them as independent from all the previous iterations of Odd Fellowship that had <laughs>
1: preceded them. Yeah, yeah. on the Masonic side, uh, you, you get cases of uh, the, the two big cases of uh, the early leading Grand Lodges, one referring to themselves as uh, oh gosh. Uh, oh man, not ancient, Alex, but
0: uh, So you thinking of the ancients and moderns? Or
1: Thank you. Uh, so you had one Uh, Referring to themselves as moderns and and some referring to themselves as ancients uh, to distinguish from one another uh, in a similar way, Uh, but but I would imagine uh, you'd be hard pressed to find any Freemason who doesn't really like the idea of the theme of non sectarian uh, uh, Unity being such an important theme that you would actually put it in your name. So that's really cool.
2: It's definitely like one of the cornerstones of of our meetings and our ritual and if you go back and look at um older versions of ritual um like even like i think the earliest one that i've got a copy of is from like 1798 which is the patriotic order of Oddfellows. fellows and then there's like the ancient there's a, there's a bunch of yeah we have an ancient order as well but I, <laughs> um a bunch of them are pick your good sounding name at the time blah 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 order of odd fellows um and yeah it's definitely it's not a religious um type thing at all and it even says you know during you know the same thing that's at our meetings now you know at time we admit no political sectarian or other improper debate and that's how we start every meeting and before we open it that's part of our ritual and it's a very important thing that We take very seriously to keep harmony in the lodge because that stuff is going to totally distract you from the work you're doing. And I think even today, it makes a really kind of a good point of Kind of showing people that Groups like, you know, these fraternal groups that they think of it as just like a bunch of old white men, but younger people are coming to it because it is a space that is free from all that crap. And you can come together and see people as people and not as their Facebook posts. And that's, I think the power that any fraternal organization has right now is really bringing people back together again and seeing people's people and kind of, I don't want to call it like forced politeness, but <laughs> it kind of is in a way where it's you are behaving in a certain decorous manner because that's kind of part of the ritual. And it's just it kind of reminds us that we are here. Not because of, you know, whatever reasons and, hey, I don't like that post you just made on Facebook, but we're not going to talk about it. And I'm going to shake your hand and we're going to have a good meeting and, or a good event or whatever. And I think it's a great way to break down those walls that social media definitely is helping to reinforce negative and <laughs> in a bad way and kind of split everybody so but you, so yeah that the independent is definitely very important the no political sectarian stuff is very important
1: uh, so ainsley i understand you are in the anteroom of yeah. your lodge so uh do you think maybe you could kind of uh show us around point out a few things
2: sure so let's see i've got you on the have to look at my little itty bitty thumbnail. So let me actually unhook you from my my ring light here. And I could even give you guys a quick tour of the uh the lodge room. So oh, wow. I'll try to come back to the beginning of the anteroom room here. So I'm trying to see this little itty bitty square. So got a bunch of cool you know antiques and stuff. Um Oh yeah! So as a bonus, um, I live here too. So (laughs) I live the half of the second floor, and so I literally I live in the lodge. So you're living
1: the dream, Ainsley. I am. I know.
2: So this is a bunch of stuff that I've been collecting over the years. And um,
1: do you have a favorite item in there that you've collected? Oh, geez. Um, I'm pretty fond of
2: this degree chart.
1: Oh yeah! Wow. Not in
2: the best of shape, but it's a it's a pretty pretty cool one. It's got all the items on there. Um, I got a couple of handmade items down here that I've gotten hold of. The, like, like so cut out like I don't know if it's oh, like nice. silver plated or what that is. And then I've got the a large tap- of- Yeah, we're definitely into our big tapestry. So that nice little big old, big old tapestry. And uh, yeah, I'll take a quick quick swing around the lodge room. Sweet. So.
0: So. Dude, you know, Robert, (laughs) how much would this work to our benefit on committees when we're trying to get stuff done at lodge if you own the damn place?
2: Right. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so yeah, so that's that's our room. And so, you know, just got your four stations around the room and uh, a bunch of stuff hung up. And yeah, so this is like the in the back of the second floor of the building and I live in the front half. So yeah, that's the
0: So Ainsley before you leave the lodge room, if you don't oh, mind, I'm just uh, sorry, man, just for clarification, no uh, trying to cross some of the things. Would it be cool. Could you like point out the officer chairs and what they are just to kind of give some perspective.
2: So as you come in. um, So this would be the vice grand station with the left and right supporter and then seeing supporters in the front. Um, Those chairs are usually empty in the front there Um, then come around this way. I don't know if everything's mirrored because I'm using the forward facing camera. So this is the chaplain station. Hmm. And then let's come around this away. There we go. So behind me is the noble grand's chair with the left and right supporter over here is the warden. Right there's the conductor and then of course the secretary and treasurer up there and then you come around here and that's for the past grand to sit
0: that's fantastic so yeah. yeah i'm noticing right off the bat that different officers sit different places from what we're used to right positions are very i mean that that's where our positions are yeah um, in a Masala- we don't in
2: our particular lodge we don't use an altar um okay there, some lodges do um especially in europe the odd fellows in europe will use an altar but what you'll find in a lot of lodges in um North America is you'll find links on the floor, either tile, carpet, or something. And that kind of acts as our no-go zone. Of you know, you don't, you don't cross your links, so. Interesting.
0: Now the, the point I was gonna uh, point out there, I thought was pretty hilarious. Yeah, you, know, you pointed to the one chair on the side for the past grand. Uh, mm-hmm. and that's, uh, symbolized as the chair in the north, and it's supposed to be a place of darkness. Nobody okay. However, at least here in Kansas, that's typically where a uh, past master who's you know gained some weight sits because it's a bit yeah. rest so yes <laughs> just kind of a funny symbology there.
2: And probably if you look at the that 1798 ritual, it probably does have a little bit more masonic influence than our current ritual does. Um, they did definitely go through a bunch of different revisions at different points depending on which order so um, but at the same time I guess one thing that we don't have that you masons definitely seem to be played by the the clandestine masonry
0: yeah
2: um where even though there's different branches of oddfellows we do recognize them all and
0: oh we don't
1: have any problem with clandestine masonry I never hear about that
2: (laughs) So, um, so yeah, so that's, like, one of those kind of interesting things that, like, you know, seeing, uh, obviously, there are, like, a lot of um, fake fake Masonic uh, bodies that are purely used as money-making schemes or, you know, whatever, but yeah. um, I guess we've just been fortunate not to <laughs> have, nobody wanted to fake an odd fellow lodge yet, I guess. Of course, I say that out loud, and now we'll be
0: plagued by them.
1: So you mentioned just now uh, some influences of Masonic uh, ritual in the early Oddfellow ritual, which makes sense. If some of the early Oddfellows were already Mason's, it would, it would have been a easy place to, to be inspired from. I'm curious uh, off the top of your head, if there were any other uh, strong influences or organizations that uh, you, you can recognize in your ritual um, you know for example in Freemasonry uh, we can we can find instances of uh, say uh, alchemy or uh, mm-hmm. even uh, uh, Christian church uh, traditions uh, and different things like that you can actually find kind of uh, influence of simply because the early members were coming from those kinds of backgrounds
2: mm-hmm. so um, definitely the um, earlier, ritual was a little bit more of that enlightenment era touches into very just very lightly just grazes into alchemy a little bit um and our ritual today has kind of gotten a little bit away from that but it's still there if you dig if you kind (laughs) of really look at it and you're like oh yeah and it's it just it doesn't slap you in the face with it and it's definitely not as uh it's not as heavy as it is in masonry with the um, with the alchemical references and things like that but um, we we do have um, oh, where was I going with that there is like a lighter touch of it definitely and more so in the older ritual than and then now I think you know the 1800s did a lot of kind of watering down and getting rid of some of that type stuff I think probably in part because of the anti masonic movement and trying to distinguish ourselves away from masonry to not get caught up in the that fervor that was you know really damaging to the masons and i think it benefited the Oddfellows greatly because i think that's how the Oddfellows outranked the masons for a couple of years there because we were the, we were like the other the other group you could join that was you know yeah. You know, Knights of and all kind
0: of. We're not with those guys. So so, uh,
1: (laughs) that's interesting. So, so sadly, it uh, that's actually also rather true of Masonry that uh, uh, whether it be the alchemical influence or any of the other early things you see in Masonry, like uh, uh, Giordano Bruno's art of memory or any of these types of things, uh, you see in the 1800s as a result of the anti-Masonic party and other elements, uh, the Catholic church really coming down hard on masonry in the 1700s. Mm-hmm. Uh, you see intentional steps away from uh, what we know were rather essential components to masonry in the early years, meaning uh, even masonry was getting away from masonry and yeah. uh, to this day lacks some of the components that it uh, really cherished uh, in the early years. Yeah, I, I, I know the odd fellows were also victims of uh persecution by the catholic church isn't that right
2: i don't know a lot about um specifically the catholic church um i know that they were anti any fraternal group you know that was not catholic but um, yeah the knights of columbus but um there were definitely a lot of um there were books published that were anti-Oddfellows that were by like different reverends and ministers Mm -hmm. to try to discredit it and but it's interesting because there were a lot of reverends and ministers that were odd fellows like uh Mm -hmm. like reverend Grosch who started the Grange and he was the writer of probably one of the one of the better books on Oddfellowship out there so there's it's kind of a it was okay with some and not with others so Mm -hmm. it's it's kind of a hard way to without really extensively kind of being able to find, you know, articles about it, other than just like, kind of like reprint hearsay. So, but yeah, on a, you know, archive.org, there's, there's a couple books of uh, trying to expose the which we will kind of get into the talk later with the goat, the expose on the Oddfellows initiation, and it's just yeah. so ridiculous. It's obviously somebody who's never been in any sort of fraternal group and claiming that they had infiltrated and all that kind of stuff and you read it and you're like this is absolutely nothing at all like anything in our ritual that they just completely it's not like they even took like like the ritual and like read it and were like haha this is I'm gonna spin this it was like they hadn't even read the ritual to even like make it a mess so I don't know it's it's kind of funny how the 1800s definitely had a big pushback against our groups. To, right. I guess because they're powerful. They were getting a lot of money and influence.
1: I don't so want to say I'm makes- glad, uh, but I would say it's nice to uh, to, to hear and recognize the similarities in how, and how, and and I guess it's just human nature that mm-hmm. uh, we tend to fill in the gaps of our ignorance, uh, especially the the largest gaps with the, the biggest chunks of nonsense and it sounds like you guys were victims of that just as we often were yeah
2: it's like we quit wearing the aprons partially because to try to not be anyhow mistaken for masons and mm-hmm. the grand united order of Fellows they still wear the aprons but we we don't on in the independent order and uh you know that's definitely kind of one of those things that i i could tell by the changes to the ritual that they made At different points in the 1800s, and changing the regalia and stuff like that, that they were definitely very greatly concerned with what the public's uh, perception or the um, the critics, I guess, were saying. So, us too.
0: Oh, go. Sorry, brother. Go ahead.
2: I was just
1: saying,
0: us too.
2: Yeah, but yeah, it watered down a lot of the the good stuff out of the ritual. So, if you want. It's like, almost like you gotta go dig in if you really wanna get into it. And so in a way it's kind of fun cause you have to like, every member has to decide if they wanna go on that journey or not and go on that treasure hunt. Or if they just wanna, you know, just take it at face value and you know, just be like, this is what it says in our ritual. That's all there is to know,
0: you know, so. It doesn't sound familiar at all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah,
2: like well, I see like a lot of the, the, the no skulls and Freemasonry. kind of issue going
0: on (laughs) 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 oh see robert's eyes it's not panned over to him right now but yeah (laughs) still going on at the moment
2: (laughs) so yeah it's kind of interesting like kind of seeing even today those disagreements happening
1: well uh you mentioned the no skulls and masonry so uh so what i've found uh, what i've what i found interesting about the 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 skull issue with Freemasonry uh this gets back into the anti masonic stuff we were talking about and uh, it also ties in with one of our main topics tonight, which I maybe we'll be segueing into here now uh, I don't know but uh, what I've found is that going back to at least the eighteen forties at least the eighteen forties uh you find that the two most common motifs picked up by anti-Masons to put Masonry in a bad light were skulls and Mm. goats. Yeah. Uh, It was all about the skulls and the goats. If they've got Mm. skulls and goats, they must be uh, doing bad things. And God forbid it'd be a goat skull.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Because that means really bad. It's like they're like doing sacrifices and conjuring the devil. Oh,
0: yeah. (laughs) Brother uh, <laughs> Carl Hearn posted on his uh, feed today a picture of a goat holding a skull something <laughs> along the lines of, you know, let's start some ruckus. And I, I yeah. commented, uh, frankly, uh, lose the goat and I'm in.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we're, well, I think I definitely, like, definitely in Hotfellas, uh, we've, we've embraced our inner goat. And even yeah. though it's not an official part of anything and it never was a part of anything, it's just one of those almost like a... Um, like a, kind of like a, just kind of like a running gag almost is, right. is what it kind of feels like is it's the, it's the, it's the joke that never ends, but we, we totally embrace it. At I least it's, at to, least the you know, people I've talked to it about are totally, sure. totally down with the goat.
0: Just so. before we uh, transition over to the goat, I do have one more question, uh, just to kind of sum up uh, Odd Fellows for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but before I do that, I want to segue over to Robert and make fun of him real fast. Robert put your hands in the camera's view say something so we can hear you
1: hello these are my hands
0: y'all have had a few days of cold weather and now we've got Robert in gloves you Texas (laughs) can't handle it can you
1: (laughs) my beanie's right over there I took at least I took the beanie off
0: (laughs) (laughs) so I was uh I was down in Texas yesterday for a work trip sadly it was a very hectic one day trip so I didn't get time to see Robert or really do anything of uh, pleasure value. Um, but it was, uh, I, I was hoping for a nice warm Texas day, get away from the Kansas weather. I apparently brought the Kansas with me and it was a uh, low sixties, rainy, just mucky weather. Um, flying back to Kansas last night. I, I don't remember what the temperature was, but it was God awful cold. And, yeah. uh, as soon as I left that airport, I could just feel it in my chest. I about died. I ran for the uh, stairwell, which was heated and <laughs> Yeah, I sought out shelter there until I can remember where the heck I parked. But
2: yeah, we had about a pretty a couple funny inches start. of snow last yesterday that really mucked things up a good bit here. So that right. Yeah, winter's here. <laughs> uh,
0: with a vision. Well, uh last question I really have for the uh kind of sum it up odd fellows here. Mm-hmm. Uh if, I'm trying to remember the the overall structure. We we've talked about kind of the grand orders I comparatively speaking. Um Within masonry, per state, we have a Grand Lodge per state, which kind of dictates that jurisdiction. Do you guys have something comparable um, for your jurisdictions, or does it just go all the way to the top?
2: Yeah, so every, every jurisdiction has a Grand Lodge, and then from there, um, every Grand Lodge can send two reps to Sovereign Grand Lodge every year, and so... We have basically like this, the state government, you know, which is also in you know, Canada and anywhere that there's, you know, enough lodges to have a grand body. And then um, they all then report to the sovereign grand lodge every year to, you know, do legislation for the whole kind of kit and caboodle thing. And we also have quasi independent grand lodges. So, you know, mostly based by um, region of the planet and economic type stuff. So the grand lodge of Europe has um, different, the Grand Lodge of Norway and Sweden. So they all report to the Grand Lodge of Europe, which is quasi independent from the sovereign Grand Lodge. They still have to have the same ritual. There's a certain amount of things that have to be maintained between the two, but it's they're allowed to kind of do the odd fellows the way they wanna do in Europe. And there are differences between european odd fellows and the american or north american you know meaning america united states and canada i say america meaning continental not just united states and um the australasia so the the philippines which is having just the past you know 10 15 years they've just had a huge explosion at odd fellows and uh australia and then you know i think they're trying to get a launch back in new zealand and stuff like that so yeah, so we got a couple semi-independent Grand Lodges, but they still have to fall under the sovereign Grand Lodge with certain respects and regards. So if that kind of makes sense, it's, yeah, it's a definitely. little, it gets a little murky, but yeah.
0: Thank you so much for explaining that. Well, uh, Brother Robert, do you have anything else on the basis of odd fellow um, lodges before we transition into the GOAT?
1: Uh, I do not. But for anyone out there interested in uh, uh, reading about a prominent Oddfellow and Mason, you can go to wacomasonic.org slash Marcus dash Herring. He was a past Grandmaster of the Oddfellows of Texas. He was a prominent member of Waco Masonic Lodge. There was a Masonic Lodge named after him and he founded the Oddfellows orphanage and widow's home for the state of Texas. So uh, he was probably the most important odd fellow in Texas history.
0: Very cool. Well, if you don't mind, man, when we get the uh, show notes written up, make sure we get that included in a link to that so everyone can check that information out. All right. Well, we will trans, uh, transfer over to the, uh, I guess, the meat and potatoes of this evening. I know a lot of people are going to be looking forward to this topic. So we're going to be talking about the goat. Uh, yeah. This is how I uh, met Ainsley on <laughs> So, just to give a little backstory on my end, uh, when I came into Freemasonry back in 2000, uh, 2014, uh, it was a it was a joke. I heard about it when I was going through my degrees. They're going to get the goat ready and stuff. Uh, <laughs> yep. I even tagged along early on and made a few goat jokes. It stuck with me though. There was one guy at the table um, that just did not have it. I mean, he wasn't rude and disrespectful, but he just he made it clear that he did not see the humor in it and kind of explained why. And I defended the goat, believe it or not. Uh, I was just like, dude, what, what, what's the point? And uh, I, I didn't get it. But as time went on, I guess what has really turned my stomach on the whole goat thing is, purely masonry has an image issue that we're dealing with, that we've been dealing with for so long. And this is just one of those things that I see hurts our image, more than creates the fun like when you when you try to balance the two, I see more bad in it than I see good, um, or more, you know more harmful capabilities. I guess what really God, I still remember it too it, it's burnt into my brain. what really just kind of drew the line for me is uh, scrolling through Facebook one day and there was an invitation to a third degree um, which you know, the the more you get into all this stuff, and I'm sure it, it uh, transposes over onto the Oddfellow side as well, you, you start to, you know, know these degrees and research them and you respect them and the message behind them and stuff. The invitation to this degree was uh, like a cowboy squirrel riding a goat. And that was the invitation to this guy's third degree that set his past path for the rest of his life there. And that just really disturbed me. I'm like, that really just kind of,
1: Oh, well, then you don't want to come to a master's degree in Texas because we may not have a goat, but there is a good chance you'll see a cowboy squirrel.
0: (laughs) Well, you know, I mean, if you've watched SpongeBob, Sandy is from I I hope it's poorly taxidermied. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, we've got a lodge here that does a a fundraiser with uh, mice races. So apparently down in uh, Texas, we've got cowboy squirrel races going on. Got to do what you got to do to keep those lodges funded, right? Yeah. <laughs> but anyways, that, that you know, that's that's kind of my take on the goat. You know, it started out harmless, but over time, it's just it's just left a sour taste in my mouth personally, um, mm-hmm. which caused me to look into it deeper. And I have I have not so far been able to find a actual historical verifiable link of a goat in Freemasonry. Mm -hmm. what i did find and what brought me and ainsley to meet each other online is a mechanical goat device that traced back to the odd fellows and my belief on that was with odd fellows and Masons sharing lodges so much back in the day that this was probably you know seen as something masonic and carried on Uh, i i've even someone commented that their lodge has one of these has had it longer than they've ever known don't really know what it is but it's there so anyways, that kind of started the uh, the conversation. Ainsley knows a lot about these uh, mechanical goat devices and has some history behind it. So uh, he's going to be so kind to share that with us. And then uh, we're going to jump into a discussion on the goat and hash this out. Robert, before he jumps in, do you got anything on the goat? I
1: actually have an entire list of uh, uh, things I'd like to talk about with the goat. But first, I, I, I'd really like to hear what Ainsley has to say.
0: All right, let's do it.
2: Cool. So um, hopefully um, if I forget anything, um, I did do a talk on goats a couple months ago. I do have a YouTube video for it. I don't know if you you know if I could send you guys a link at some point or whatever to include it with your notes for few for further goat learnings, I guess. Um, so I'll try not to be super repetitive of it, but I'll hit the main points though for sure. So it seems like as far as the starting with that mechanical goats, um, the mechanical goats kind of arose, kind of were like a, uh, they were a symptom of the cause. So the whole goat thing was around for a long time as, it did start as a negative thing. It was started by these, uh, you know, people trying to discredit the orders and, say oh you know they're doing weird rituals in there you don't know what they're doing up there I mean for all of you know they're gonna make you you know you're gonna they're gonna make you get naked and you're gonna get strapped on a goat and ride around a room they're just gonna laugh at you and there's old um like I guess like old lithographs that you could find of like odd fellows initiation and it's got a naked dude backwards on a goat and which is like totally <laughs> totally not anything in any of our ritual and <laughs> It was just something. it was It just basically started as a lie by people trying to like basically discredit and, de, you know, devalue what our groups do to It started as like a like almost like a degrading thing. And it kind of was like, yeah, well, you know what, maybe we do ride goats and it just kind of started as like, a, well, maybe we do and started kind of you know teasing and being like oh well wait till we get the goat up in here maybe the goat will come tonight for the initiation and everybody you know and so it kind of it kind of took hold and as this kind of uh totally not related to anything but just got kind of brought up and kind of ran with it and then next thing you know this mythological goat turns into enough of a thing that um, the Dumoulin brothers um, in Greenville, um, Illinois, started producing these goats, the mechanical goats in the late 1800s. And they produced stuff for, you know, not just goats for Odd Fellows, but goats for every fraternal order. Like the Woodmen of the World was like, probably their biggest uh, um, purchaser of, of the goats. Um, and they made, you know, probably a dozen different varieties of goats and it was such a huge factory that apparently at the peak of using the real goat horns on these goats, it, they would just bring in trains of train cars full of goat horns that would smell so bad in the town that the town complained and they had to switch over to cast, cast iron horns because the real ones were just—it was just stinking up the town in the summer of these rotting horns <laughs> that they were getting brought in from all the slaughterhouses. So if you find one that's got the actual, um, actual horn, that lets you know that's that's probably a really old one, because most of them will have that cast, uh, the, the cast horns. But it, yeah, and it—the lodges were competing against each other for everybody's attention. So you know, and I, they're also competing against vaudeville. So they started kind of buying these little side degree things that were totally not sanctioned. Goats were never sanctioned by the odd fellows. And they even have in their ritual, you know, a different, you know, if you look at the beginning of the, in the, the degree where you're like shows like, okay, so-and-so wears this so-and-so stands here. And then it'll have specifically written. You're not to make animal noises. You're not to use any devices other than those prescribed in the blah, blah, blah. It's very outlines if you do this, your lodge will be in trouble and but a lot of lodges just went ahead and did it anyway because they're like well if I'm not telling you're not telling and um, so yeah the the goats kind of turned into this like sort of a call like a spurless degree or a burlesque degree a um, couple different little side degree type things that were just totally not allowed to be used um, and I think it even got to the point where um, the oddfellow equivalent of the Shriners, Um, Amos, the ancient mystic order of Samaritans our fizz-wearing fun side group. They, um, I think they use a camel. So it kind of evolved enough that it kind of did work in the ritual somewhere, but not into like actual oddfellow ritual, but like a side group ritual in a way. Um, But it's definitely, it was, it was an entertainment thing. It was just supposed to be funny. It was never a very serious kind of thing and but you'll see if you look back through like jewelry and pins and stuff, you'll see a lot of like little, little goats on three links or, you know, little watch bobs or celluloid pins with a goat in the three links. So there's a lot of it just definitely it worked its way into our mythos, even though it's not really part of it. And um, there's even a book called the lodge goat, which has, I think, from all different fraternal orders, like kind of little stories about the goat and they're all written from the point of view that the goat is like an actual member of a lodge and the cover of this book is actually like the, the goat's wearing an Odd Fellows collar on the cover of this book but like i said it's like different fraternal orders did contribute to this book but um you can even find like reprints of the book online um it's it's pretty funny like it's like all kind of prose and jokes and stuff but all from the point of view like you know a lot of members would treat the goat as this kind of fictitious member of the lodge that they would just talk about with reverence, like, Oh, yeah, I haven't seen the goat meeting, and da da da. You know, oh, I wonder if the goat's coming tonight. And it just kind of almost kind of took on the idea of like the goat is like symbolic of like the members that aren't there or something. I don't know, it's just like a symbolic part of the lodge that you know it worked itself into our kind of like you'll see a lot of odd fellows that have tattoos with goats, and um, I have like a, a tattoo of a candidate writing a goat. Um, but yeah, the, the goat is definitely a very, very beloved part of, of a lot of, to a lot of, oddfellas. I can't say like across the board, but, you know, we've had like a lot of past, um, past grandmasters at this point, um, when they were grandmaster, they used the goat on their pin, or it's a, it's definitely a very, a lot more kind of we have a friendlier relationship I guess with it I guess and it it is fun and I guess the the seriousness that masonry has maybe we don't have quite as much of like that seriousness because we maybe we don't have like you know the founding fathers shoulders that we're standing on (laughs) to you know really keep this image of like you know like of uh that I feel like Masonry feels like they have to uphold. I, I could be totally wrong as an outsider viewing it, but I feel like Masonry has like a more serious kind of like cloak. They try to try to wear and they don't want to kind of be seen as silly or jokey
1: at all. Yeah. But, yeah. I think there's some truth in that. Uh, man, it's kind of nice to hear that from the outside looking in, we look like people who want to take ourselves seriously. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, you know, uh, Alex has expressed his, uh, disdain for the goat and uh and i I can't would not want to and can not speak for him but i imagine a a big part of that disdain has to do uh with the fact that it it does put us in a goofy light and Mm -hmm. uh, generally speaking the masons who do talk about the goat or make goat sounds or threaten candidates with the mythological goat are uh, often guys who don't take the ritual seriously enough Uh, Mm -hmm. so uh I think uh, that's
0: probably one of the things that gets me, too, is I, I connect those two um, very much, and it just, on a dual level, kind of uh, irks me a bit. Um, while I got the camera on me, just real quick, this is that book that he was talking about. This is not the original book, so it doesn't have the uh, the cover that he was describing. This is one of the Forgotten Books reprints, but... Yeah, yeah I've got the got the reprint of it. Yeah, yeah. it's it's a monster of a book, um, unfortunately i still have not read this thing i I picked it up and i I need to i need to revisit
2: it i i I looked at it when i first got it and i i i need to get back into it i I just i buy too many books that i don't read is really what it comes down to but
0: so but from what i
2: but the little bit i did read was it was all definitely a lot of it was it was light. was it was humor and light and fun
1: so uh so i I think there's actually a pretty significant reason for that that i i think is more interesting than just a surface humor uh thing uh and uh uh, unless you you've got more you'd like to elaborate on with that uh, i can kind of go there i think
2: definitely mason's got a little bit more of a kind of a, a crappier hand as far as the goat goes because it kind of did get tied in with your symbolism and stuff a little bit more than there's really no way to tie it to any of our symbolism at all so I'll, I'll let you pick up because that's more what you would be able to speak with authority on anyway
1: okay uh so uh I've got some notes here I'm gonna kind of run through uh first I would say you mentioned the and, and I don't know the pronunciation yours sounded right did you say DeMolen brothers yeah DeMolen uh, so if there's any masons out there interested in uh, hearing or reading more about that. Uh, volume 14 in 2006 of Herodom uh, has an article on the Devon brothers and the as it refers to the goat factory. It was written by a uh, brother john goldsmith. Uh, and he's, and, uh, uh, he's
2: actually a member of my lodge
1: so Oh, well, there you go. Uh, that's Pretty cool. Yeah, Uh, there's also uh, since we're on that note in volume 16 2008, an article titled writing the goat secrecy masculinity and fraternal hijinks in the United States uh, by William D Moore. Uh, I'd like to give a shout out to uh, Daniel Gardner, the secretary of Helena Lodge number three in Montana uh, for uh, shooting these over to me as I was uh, looking into some of this stuff earlier. Before I get into the history things I've dug up, I'd like to point out uh, Brother Gardner's theory that I I, I find to be rather interesting uh, without giving away too much. Uh, There is a part in Masonic ceremonies where uh, a brother uh, is uh, sometimes hypothetically, potentially this may or may not exist, uh, get carried around on a tarp or or Mm -hmm. a canvas or something along those lines. And uh, depending on the lodge and the jurisdiction and uh, the the environment and the kinds of guys you have, uh, it can be a very gentle uh, carrying around or it can be a little rougher. And I can tell you, for example, uh, when I went through, uh, the, the members of my lodge uh, got a kick out of, well, kicking me while they carried me around. They'd kick kind of underneath it and uh, make it. Uh, sort of a bumpy ride, if you will, which is where I'm going with this. Uh, Mm -hmm. Brother Gardner has uh, proposed that the idea of riding the goat may have come from uh, being carried around in some manner or another and it being a bumpy ride, uh, similar to a a goat bucking. now, uh, having said that, uh, and, and that may tie in with some of these other things I'm going to run through. If if either of you want to stop me at any point to throw in anything, just just go for it.
0: Uh, well, if you don't mind, before you get too far to that, I, I would uh, detail. I just found out about this the other day, and I'm not going to go into any specifics or point fingers at anyone. But uh, somebody had pointed out a uh, jurisdiction, another jurisdiction, I'll leave it at that, um, actually uses it in their ritual, uh, Hmm. standardized, um, where they ask for the candidate to have something in preparation to feed the goat, and then uh, kind of in the same correlation what you're talking about uh, with the um, alleged tarp, um, that it is jostled in a manner um, to symbolize riding the goat. I I was honestly kind of surprised to hear that. Uh, Robert, just just your take on, on knowing what that degree with, you know, without going into that degree, uh, the, the symbolism behind it, what it means on a deeper level. I mean, do you think it has any place there?
1: Well, I, I'm going to have to cover this history stuff before I answer that fairly. Okay, fair enough. Uh, yeah, because I, I, to me, without the historical background that at least appears to maybe be there. Sure, then I think that the obvious answer would be no. Uh, but if you add in some context that there, there might be reason for at least maintaining the goat presence. Uh, because it, 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 it likely served a pretty important role at one point. Uh, so, uh, uh, in <sighs> With that, I'll, I'll get started. Uh, basically, what I'm going to lay out here is, is that I suspect, uh, and, and, and this isn't groundbreaking. Uh, Ainsley was just uh, uh, Describing this whole thing in a very similar manner. The goat thing likely began as a very serious and damaging rumor about what happened in our meetings by those who had no idea what happened in our meetings uh, in an era when uh, our fraternity almost died as a result of anti-Masonic sentiments. Uh, uh, so it was a very serious issue. Oftentimes throughout history and society, uh, when an organization or an individual or a religion, what have you, uh, has gets bullied or accused of things or has some kind of negative aura cast on it unfairly, humor is often what we turn to in order to uh, digest or even flip that kind of negativity upside down uh, and twist it into a good. And I suspect that's kind of what started happening in the 1800s. There is evidence of uh, lodges and freemasonry being accused of goat riding uh, at least as far back as the 1840s. But again, this doesn't mean that lodges were riding goats in the 1840s. It means that people who hated Freemasonry for some reason or another were saying that we were running around with skulls and goats uh, to to put us in a bad light. Uh, I've found that in uh, Mackey's encyclopedia, uh, as well as two other sources, they drew some connections uh, between the Renaissance witch trials and Freemasonry coming later, suggesting that uh, the witches either did or did not use goats. Uh, uh, Honestly, I would say that that there's a good chance that there was some kind of goat symbolism or use happening uh, in uh, Wicca. Uh, And uh, because people who found out about that didn't understand it, they started applying sinister uh, ideas to it out of a place of ignorance. With the disappearance, or at least the the diminishing of such witch trials, along came Freemasonry and Oddfellows and other secret societies uh, that uh, uh, kind of inherited a lot of the targeting uh, that the witches suffered uh, through the the, the immediately uh, prior era. Uh, I did uh, recently, and speaking with the Brazilian Mason, he wrote out for me uh, the acronym they have there in Brazil for the Grand Architect of the Universe. Uh, it's uh, Gadu. uh They sometimes refer to him as that acronym or her, uh, the deity as that acronym. And he actually made a point of uh, letting me know that they have a running joke there that GADU or Godu is uh, also uh, a reference to goats. Uh, mm. So apparently this is an international uh, uh, joke. In Morals and Dogma, uh, I think the only mention of goats. Uh, I've, I've, I annotated Morals and Dogma several years ago to try to make it easier for me to look for things. Uh, and uh, this one's actually in the back of the index uh, that you can find the digest. Uh, uh, Pike refers to uh, Kabbalists and alchemists in, uh, I think it's the twenty. 20- Eighth degree chapter, Uh, it's either 28th or 29th. Uh, He refers to Kabbalists and alchemists hieroglyphically using goat heads to represent sulfur, um, Mm. which obviously had uh, important significance among uh, chemists uh, in those uh, early years and I guess even today. Uh, And he refers to it as as a very uh, important symbol. Uh, So there's a tiny, tiny, tiny reference there in that uh, most ubiquitous Masonic text, Morals and Dogma. I, I always like to make the joke, it's the most owned book in Masonry and the least read book in Masonry. Uh, <laughs> so true. <I'd, laughs> yeah, uh, I think it would be easy to make the argument that it's most owned, maybe not as easy to make the argument that it's least read, because I, I, I imagine pretty much any book could get that argument. Oh.
0: Let's uh, be more specific, and we can say it's the least completed. I think everyone's read a couple pages. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: so uh, the earliest, if, 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 if we want to really try to find something goat-related in masonry and, and reach as far back in time with it as we could, and we're not going to count, say, uh, inheriting the, the persecution of the witch trials, Uh, Then uh, I would point to Dr. William Stookley. Uh, He was a British Mason initiated in London in 1721. Uh, So we're talking uh, just after the uh, first Grand Lodge is formed, Freemasonry is kind of being formalized in a a more widespread structural sense. Uh, He uh, served as past master uh, and uh, was eventually buried, as most people are. In 1886, his, his grave was exhumed and uh, his coffin had a goat head emblem on it. Uh, mm-hmm. And this is something that got a lot of attention because, uh, again, 1886 is well after the point, uh, at least 40 years after the point that it became common to accuse Freemasonry of uh, having something to do with goats or goat worship. Um, uh, what I didn't mention on the Pike Morals and Dogma reference is uh, there, he, he does tie the goat head to Baphomet. Uh, so uh, there you go for the, the, the conspiracy theorists. That's uh, something they like to uh, throw out there. But if you read that whole chapter of Pike, uh, it's not the, the super duper creepy thing uh, in masonry that uh, is often made out to be. Uh, last but not least, I. Um, Symbolically, there is uh, or has been a reference to goats in a kind of an interesting or unusual way, and that would be the pentalfa, uh, which is uh, the name or one of many names for the five-pointed star. um, This which is variously interpreted to uh, descend from the seal of Solomon, uh, referred to as a blazing star, the morning star, very similar to the ancient Pythagorean symbol of health, uh, the pentalfa, five-pointed star. Well, uh, it represents all of those things or has represented all of those things at various points and in various places. When it is upright and has the single point at the top, uh, it has sometimes been interpreted when inverted, so that you have two points at the top and one point at the bottom Mm -hmm. to represent uh, Baphomet or a goat, the two points at the top would then uh, correspond to the two horns of a goat. uh, And and that would be an inverted pentalfa. So all of that being said, these these are the things I was able to just kind of run across and looking through a few books. Uh, I I think think, uh, for me, I'm not as offended when I see or hear references to goats But I think it should be done in a way that is uh, informed uh, and uh, uh, particularly uh, in a sense of not humiliating or uh, scaring a candidate uh, so much as uh, remembering that uh, anti-masonic sentiment is real uh, it's it's dangerous for our organization at times has led to uh, masons being killed in, in massive numbers uh, and I'm sure odd fellows have suffered that at various times as well uh, and uh, the people who were suffering in that sense the, the brothers who were suffering in that sense dealt with those very real dangers by turning it into a joke uh, and and uh, insulating themselves with humor. Uh, and uh, for that reason, I think the goat had a very important historic uh, meaning for some Masons, but only in that context. Uh, there does not to appear, uh, as Alex has said, to have ever been instances, uh, unless they were anomalies, of candidates actually riding goats in de- degrees. Uh, the closest we could get to that would be a very loose interpretation of a canvas.
0: Right, and that's in, what in I am. That situation I think would almost be considered an innovation because I, I don't think that's intended in that particular uh, portion of the degree. Uh, using a canvas? No, not using the, no, God, no, <laughs> trying to get me shot up. No, like uh, trying to do the kicking and stuff and turn it into a goat symbolism. Gotcha. Uh, I would say it would be an innovation on the actual meaning and purpose of that legend in the degree. Yep. So I'm going through, uh, when, it, when I wrote the book for Gardner Lodge, uh, you know, i heavily relied on the uh grand lodge annual proceedings and i you know not able to find it here at the moment i'm looking through um, but there is actually a quote that i remember at the time cracked me up where the grand secretary um kind of laid it out <laughs> about the, the use of the goat uh and whatnot but I, i'm unable to find that however searching through some of these i am finding several references that almost seem to go back and forth um, as far as the manner in which it's used. Um, we find, well, let me see here. I find a couple couple references where it's it's almost uh, calling a group of masons goats. And I guess I'll read it off here and see what you think. Um, but it, it, it almost seems in a derogatory manner at some point. Uh, this specific one here, this is out of the 1870 proceedings. Uh, Quote goes, there are some of the inducements that operate to render counterfeit or spurious metal current and so long and wherever this is the case, we shall find a huddle of goats that wear the lambskin on them. Don't know where they're going with that. But it kind of went along with, uh, let me find this other one that I just read here. yeah here here's another this is out of the eight i'm sorry 1905 annual proceedings uh saying here these fellows are a fair sample of some of the goats that creep into our lodges and don the lambskin. Uh, what do you think that, that almost sounds like uh, they're trying to call somebody out yeah so we obviously see in you know in in my jurisdiction this is a you know been a, a long time thing Um, but you know, at the same time, it's also been a long time thing with people on both sides of the fence. Um, but yeah, I thought it was kind of interesting that some of these guys are using the term against the other ones.
2: Almost like a wolf in sheep's clothing kind of.
0: Precisely, precisely. You know, another thing coming to my mind here that still kind of cracks me up slash irks me to this day, um, as we were talking about earlier on both sides of the fence, um, with some of the anti sentiments, um, back in the day, we had a lot of publications that were anti-masonic put out there, and they would paint masonry in a certain picture, and goats were widely used in that, kind of mocking the degrees, mm-hmm. making, you know, just crazy and and pitiful or daunting. Um, believe it or not, to my to this day, my lodge in the uh, Tyler's Quarter has like eight or nine of these old original prints framed up, and you know, there's the goats all over the place, and mm-hmm. I've mentioned on several occasions, like you know these are all anti-Masonic, right? We even had a, a Missouri, basically the whole lodge came to visit us. And that was a, they were just kind of standing there staring at him and kind of looked at me. I'm like, yeah, I don't know. But it's one of those things that's been on the wall forever. So nobody- were, wants- they,
1: were they anti-Masonic or were they Masonic produced in response to the anti-Masonic accusations or jokes? You get, you, I know what I'm, I'm, I'm trying to pinpoint is a subtle difference, uh, but, but, but I think it's, it's, it's a difference nonetheless in the kind of way that, 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 a victim, like a
2: theme a, that we would share today.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, the way, a, the, the way a bully victim will turn an insult into a victory. Uh, you I, know, I guess, go ahead.
0: No, I, to be fair on that, I, I guess I would really have to do the research on where that public, I mean, these, these are cutouts, um, from my interpretation and obviously i'm coming here with a bias so from my interpretation they come off as the anti-masonic prints Um, i don't know who published those Uh, so i mean there is the possibility that it did come from a masonic source Um, and you know that actually kind of interests me i'm I'm gonna have to try to see if i can trace back if there is any information on there for me to trace back uh, to see where that came from personally i i want to say it's it's anti-masonic just by looking at it i don't think i would at least, I mean, by the images portrayed in there, I would hope that a mason didn't put those out, especially in those time periods when, uh, I mean, we're we're pretty serious today about uh, divulging too much information. Um, but especially in that time period, I don't think that would have been taken too kindly um, for as far as what they depict.
1: So uh, I've got a pretty elaborate example of the kind of uh, turning the thing on its head for the sake of humor Uh, If one of you guys have something else you want to throw in before I do this, it's it's, like I said, it's elaborate. It's a little long, but I think it's enjoyable. I think uh, the listeners and hopefully you two guys will get a laugh out of it, which was the point of the original thing in the first place.
0: Hmm. I'm good. I I feel
2: like, you know, before you go into that, I guess the only thing that I guess from listening to you guys and kind of feeling like the tone of the goat was used as more of like a, almost like a, like sort of like to try to make it seem like you guys were either doing some sort of like pseudo-sexual witchcraft, occulty stuff with the goat like, you know, riding the goat obviously will have, you know, some certain kind of negative connotations and, you know, euphemisms for other things. Um, and I-, I feel like as far as like in Odd Fellows, the like the tone of it was never quite as aggressively negative or maybe pursued as hard as a kind of a defrauding kind of device. So maybe that's why we kind of use it more of like a tongue in cheek kind of thing. Like you'll see old photos of parades and there'll be like a goat, like actually like we'll have goats like in the parade. So I'm wondering if there's maybe the fact that you guys were like the butt of like the joke way more so it seems mm-hmm. and hurt more by the joke than it was a little bit more casual, maybe like a casual bad joke against the uncle. yeah like,
1: yeah. yeah I, I, I can I can see the the difference you're you're drawing there and, and yeah, definitely yeah. I, I feel uh, like maybe
2: it just kind of like the, the teasing was taken to a whole other level with the Masons
1: yeah.
2: and accusing you know with the Luciferianism and all the kind of like. And that definitely does not, that connection does not get, I've not seen that made at all in Odd Fellowship as far as the Lucifer connection, because we don't have anything that I guess somebody could maybe latch onto that could maybe be construed as that. So, you know, because so and so mentioned in this one book on this one thing, and that means da da da, you know, conspiracy theory wormhole of, you know, this one thing means this thing, you know. I I feel like, yeah, I mean, just from the start, I I definitely think the Three Masons get a more scrutiny than than the odd fellows by far. So but yeah, sorry. Uh continue with what you were gonna. No, that
1: that's 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 good and, and I think really useful. Uh also, you know what, I gotta say, uh Masons aren't very good at laughing at themselves. Yeah. Uh, I'm guilty of it. I'm I'm I have one of the worst sense of humors when it comes to myself. Uh and uh, at the same time Freemasonry has helped really improve that uh flaw of mine. So uh I, I, there may be an element of that as well and that maybe, maybe Freemasons uh, uh, got attacked with it more because they were so susceptible to it by taking themselves uh, too seriously is a, is a tricky thing to say because I, I don't know that you can take Freemasonry too seriously personally. Uh, but uh, we should all there's, there should be a balance of jocularity and uh reverence uh and uh you lean too far in one way and 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 you become vulnerable Uh, so here's what i've got i'm going to read it uh it's got the intro this was printed uh nationally in a freemasons magazine in the 1860s and it introduces itself we give place to the following in our pages to gratify a fun-loving brother who thinks particularly well of it as an extravagant and ridiculous burlesque of the popular superstitious conceptions, which mainly through the influence of bigotry and priestcraft have obtained among the more ignorant classes of people, especially in Catholic countries in reference to the mysterious ceremonies and diabolical transactions which take place in our lodges." That essentially lays out exactly what I'm saying, that uh, it, 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 it identifies a few of the sources of the ridicule. Uh, it mentions Catholic. Uh, for the record, I'm not anti-Catholic, I'm very Catholic, I'm what they call Catholic light Episcopalian, but uh, it's very well known that, uh, especially in that time, the Catholic Church sought to undermine Freemasonry. Uh, it also mentions bigots as being other than the priests, so it, it, it's it's they were pointing out that it wasn't just Catholic oppression, that there was uh, political or other... Attackers, which we know of the anti-Masonic party Uh, it as it laid out. This is this is something a brother wrote uh, That is based on the kinds of jokes and accusations being made by anti-Masons at the time for the sake of making us laugh at uh, And realize just how ridiculous the accusations were I flatter myself. I understand something about secret societies. I've had a passion for that sort of thing ever since I was old enough to tell lies I have scouted around pretty extensively among the different organizations. I've been an orange man, uh, and a Finian, and a good Templar, and a counterfeiter, and also a knight of Malta. I have belonged to the Sons of Temperance, and the Odd Fellows, and the Young Men's Christian Association, and the Band of Hope, and a band of robbers. (laughs) (laughs) I've been into everything, and I thought I knew everything. Almost, but I didn't. Three months ago, I became infatuated with masonry, and since I joined that organization, I've discovered that there are several things connected therewith that outsiders don't know just a pretty good deal about. Now, Mr. Editor, I propose making these secrets public, not out of compassion for my fellow men who may be tending towards masonry and act as a warning, and so on, because I haven't got a spark of human kindness in my breast, and would rather see every mother's son put to the torture than not, but... Because I have a spite against the fellows who initiated me, who made the irons too hot, and the goat too frisky, and treated me with a roughness generally that the occasion did not warrant. Before fulminating my narrative, I will state for the benefit of those who don't know that masonry is about 600,000 years old. It was old when the fraternity got into trouble at the Tower of Babel, and it was old when Adam first put on his apron as Grand Master in the Eden Lodge. As an aside, I'd like to point out that I think the, uh, the satirical author who wrote this uh, was absolutely wanting to point out how ridiculous uh, and uh, uh, unfounded the rumors about Freemasonry were, as much as he was wanting to point out how ridiculous some of the claims made by actual Freemasons about our history or uh, uh, symbolism were or, or origins for that matter. As a more convincing proof of its antiquity, I would just mention that a party of miners the other day in one of their excavations came upon the petrified remains of a Masonic Lodge, with the members in their places and all complete, and eminent geologists who have examined the fossils are of the opinion that these bodies have been embedded in the rock for more than 15,000 years. On the evening I was to be initiated. I made my will and took a most affecting leave of my family. Thus prepared, I started for the lodge, accompanied by Brother John Smith, S.R.S.P.T., who was to see me through. We had no difficulty getting past the first entrance, but when we knocked at the second, a f- flat little fellow looked out through a round hole in the door and put this startling instigatory to Brother Smith. "Chitux kron con Kong Kong That's as good as I can do for the extremely long word. To which Brother Smith replied, Chetux cronics my dolly wackadoo. The little fellow then said, Fwadzets comted leberitum and tum-tum. And my conductor, giving a satisfactory answer, we were permitted to enter. Before I had time to look around me, a long-legged fellow knocked me over with a club. He then stood me on my feet and another marauder made a rush at me and, Brought me down again. After I had undergone this exhilarating exercise for about five minutes, they stretched me out on a bench and examined my teeth and pinched my muscles and stuck pins into me all over and shoved cayenne pepper up my nose and poured molten lead in my trouser pockets and pulled hairs out of the back of my neck with red hot pinchers with a view I suppose, to make me feel unembarrassed and at home. When I came to my senses, I was alone in the anteroom of the lodge. It was a lively and cheerful apartment. A couple of crocodiles were amusing themselves in a corner and a few full-grown rattlesnakes were practicing the flying trapeze on the stovepipe. The furniture consisted chiefly of half a dozen mummies, the skeletons of Captain Kidd, Lucretia Borgia, Guy Fox, Jack the Giant Killer, Oliver Cromwell, the Wandering Jew, William the Conqueror, Christopher Columbus, and Dick Turpin a flying machine, three barrels of gunpowder, and a remarkably healthy and well-developed wild cat. Just then, a half dozen pirates, clad in aprons and sashes, rushed into the room with a whoop. One of them, the biggest and ugliest, who appeared to be the chief, ordered the attendants in a voice of thunder to trot out the animal. The attendants disappeared, but immediately reappeared, leading an iron-clad goat, a regular double-decker with... 16 horns, a pair of wings and seven or eight tails stuck all over him. My eyes were bandaged, and I was told to mount. I said, gentlemen, if you'll excuse me, I would rather not. I'm not accustomed to going up in a balloon. Besides, I've got an engagement downtown. My wife wants to see me particularly. I'll be back in a few minutes. i rather think my house is on fire, but I'll be back in a few minutes. E, gentlemen, and a few, I'll... before I could finish my sentence, I was seized from behind and planted firmly astride the infernal goat. Somebody then said, let go and away we went. I've been through a good many perilous scenes. I've taken part in an election fight. I've been down in a railway collision and up in a steamboat explosion. I've fallen down three flights of stairs and walked out of a fourth story window but this goat excursion was a little ahead of them all. When I came to reflect on the matters in cold blood I wonder that I ever came out alive the furious beast kicked and screamed and rolled over and turned back somersaults and out somersaults and drove me against the ceiling and underneath the chairs till the bandage fell from my eyes and I had to let go. The goat vanished up the chimney in a blue flame and I found myself in the center of the lodge room with about 50 masons and aprons and nothing else, dancing a war dance around me. The rest of the members were standing on their heads in the different corners, all but the cadaverous looking buccaneer who seemed to be the head of the department. Soon they left off dancing and marched round the room, chanting an inspiriting dirge. I was then hauled up in front of the chief's desk, who thus addressed me, Brother Cobb, you are now one of us. You are a member of an institution that has lasted over three million years. You are impervious to mundane influences. You are waterproof and fireproof. You are overproof. You can walk through the river or sit on a red hot stove with impunity. Mortal man cannot harm you and the devil himself must curl up his tail and walk off at your approach. Be virtuous, Mr. Cobb, and you will be happy. I then assumed a sash and apron." So, completely ridiculous. (laughs) <laughs> absolutely unbelievable. Uh, but this was something that uh, at least according to the intro in that magazine in the 1860s, uh, was expected to cause masons to laugh across the country at a time when uh, they were being persecuted. Uh, we were just coming out of an era when it was dangerous to go to the lodge. Guys were in fear that someone would set it ablaze in the middle of a meeting. Uh, that, was a, that was a real worry. Uh, So I think it was coming out of that that they were making jokes like this. Unfortunately, we mentioned earlier in the show that clandestine masonry is a problem. I think it is actually jokes or accusations or publications like this that a lot of clandestine masons got a hold of at one point or another and tried to develop their bogus ritual uh, on and uh, that's where we end up with cases in the news, where just a few years ago, there was a, a bogus lodge up in the New York area where a guy was killed uh, doing some ridiculous stuff in an initiation that had no real basis in masonry, but maybe could have come from uh, some of these ridiculous. Uh, Is
0: that variants. the guy that had
2: gotten shot because the, there's supposed to be a plank in the pistol and the old guy didn't load it? correctly, or had an actual live round.
1: Yeah, that's exactly
2: what happened. I remember that was was well before I was even involved in anything fraternal. And I remember reading that the article, the news article had a, like a statement from like an official being like, this is not something that is part of our ritual. This is not supposed to be there. They were doing this on their own unbeknownst to us and completely tried to separate official from, what that Lodge had uh, done. And that that did stick with me as like, uh, holy crap, like that was So
1: something. this particular parody here that was printed in Masonic Magazine, I didn't really realize till I was reading here with you Ainsley. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, it mentions Odd Fellows uh, and also mentions the six mummies, which uh, the actual reason I found this article was because last week was the 5th of November and I was looking uh, through databases for anything that mentioned both Freemasonry and Guy Fawkes, which in this case was listed as one of the uh, supposed mummies. Uh, you guys use full-on coffins and skeletons uh, one way or another. I think it's fairly well known everywhere. Hopefully that doesn't come across as me revealing anything I shouldn't. But
2: it's uh, it's something that it's commonly known, but we we still it's like it's one of those things like we we don't admit it, but Anybody who Googles will find stories of people buying old Oddfellow Lodges and finding you know, a secret little hatch with the skeleton and the coffin in it and calling the police. And, and I'm sitting here thinking like, why couldn't I have been that lucky?
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, yeah, I first yeah, we across one like that not too long, or uh, probably a year or so ago, or same deal. Someone had bought a building and there was an Oddfellow's Lodge upstairs that had just been untouched forever. Yeah. And uh, in cleaning it out, the guy that uh, was helping them found found a casket and was kind of like, "What the heck?" And opened it up, and there was a full skeleton. And they actually traced it to be real human bones, and they freaked out. And someone came forth that I guess had connection to the lodge, like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa uh, I, I need to tell you something."
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, that that brings up an interesting topic. Then, so, uh, and I guess. We're, I, if we're putting you in an uncomfortable position, please, please let us know. Oh, uh, no, yeah, no, no. I'll, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. If it's, if it's not something you're supposed to talk about, we definitely don't want to talk about it. But yeah, no, I- uh, uh, if it is okay to admit that you all use something like that in, in your ceremonies, then uh, is is there reason to believe that it, it may have been common at some point to use actual bones? I do know, for example, I've, I've been to lodges in other countries, Masonic lodges in other countries, uh, where – uh, actual bones and skeletons are currently being used in anterooms. Mm. Uh, so w- would that have ever been expected in an I telescope? think.
2: I think the best way to answer that question is if you look at the latest selfie I have posted, then that would answer the question.
1: Okay. Okay. Wait. to Touch.
2: Got it. <laughs> Yeah, That's yeah, fine. it's it's definitely still a yes. Okay, cool. Not in every single lodge. Uh, sure. Some of them use like a like a paper mache one, um, which are also. It's interesting if you go into the collector's market, the paper mache ones are going for almost as much as the real skeletons are now. It's it's kind of interesting. That's a whole other topic for a whole other discussion. But so yeah,
1: I'm actually in my. Uh, uh, Lodge office right now, and I have a real skeleton
0: here. I can show you uh, not
1: exactly what we're talking about, but that's as close as a real skeleton as I get here.
2: Oh, that's
0: awesome!
2: <laughs> the bat, nice!
1: I yeah, it's like, a, a bat.
0: You? <laughs> <laughs> but to that topic, I, I do know of, uh, and I won't say who they are, I just just uh be nice but i know of several lodges in the united states that have real or at least they claim to have real human skulls in use for um, chamber of reflection purposes mm. but i mean those are pricey and hard to come by so
2: yeah and definitely i mean with anything odd fellows we are definitely a lot more shorthanded on new items than anything that masons could you know there's very few like pretty much we're in a very diy recycle kind of um lodges clothes and we take them and disperse it through everything else so yeah there's been a lot of a lot of skeletons changing hands and moving around and i've got probably one two i
0: have are you sitting there counting your skeletons yeah (laughs) 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 <laughs>
2: <laughs> so I, I feel Go like off. I'm like the home for wayward coffins so I only okay there's only one that's real if that if that makes any difference but the rest are are, are ritual uh, coffins but they only contain the the, the simulations not the I, I've got I've got one that's real that we will use when we do our initiation but everything else is is not so yeah
0: <laughs> well as I was uh, digging through some of these proceed I I did find one uh, remark here that kind of made me giggle as I was reading through it. Uh, this is out of the 1930 annual proceedings where <laughs> they are, uh, oh, I guess dealing with the frustration of taxes invading Masonic lodges as we you know deal with today commonly as well. And the remark that he put in here is, uh, let me see, the Kansas Supreme Court which provides for the taxing on these Masonic temples have now taxed all of our other properties from the lodge goat to our finest structures.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty funny.
0: It's a hint of subtle frustration coming through.
1: So we're we're lucky in Texas. We are actually, uh, uh, Masonic lodges are tax exempt in Texas.
0: Is that right?
1: Yeah. So we don't pay taxes on our properties and stuff like that.
0: I don't know if I should comment on that or not, but uh, they, they're working on that in Kansas. They're currently fighting us on it, but uh, our uh, Kansas Masonic Foundation is uh, helping us with legal to, uh, to get that done. They've, they've granted it for at least a couple Masonic lodges and some other orders, but it goes through on a single by single basis. And I think now that they're seeing more of these come through, they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. And I mean, they've got nothing to lose, right? So, uh, well, I mean, they do. If they grant it, they lose all the taxes. So, why not? They're just uh, denying everything right now. So, it's a continued fight. But that would make that would make a huge difference. Not to change the entire uh, conversation to that, but it would make a big difference. Well, Robert, what else you got?
1: I don't know that I have anything else.
0: Well, you did mention uh, before we got into this, I, I'd asked you um, what your thought on it being involved into a degree, like we had talked about earlier, um, what your personal thought was, if it should be there or not. Now that we've touched on some of the history, um, what what would your thought be on a, at least associating it with our actual rituals versus a funny pastime comment?
1: I got you. Uh, so... Uh, in, in practice, I tend to stay away from the goat thing. Uh, I will tell you that when I was initiated at uh, this lodge, uh, they had, and, and, and it's still here, we don't use it, but a varmint coal, uh that makes a goat bah- 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 bah sound. Uh, and it was actually used during the blindfolded circumambulation, uh, which... I think is really lame and obviously going way too far uh, very irreverent. Uh, much too jocular. Uh, the balance has obviously been thrown out of whack when you're doing stuff like that. Uh, right. I'm not a huge fan of saying to guys. Uh, uh, oh, is the goat ready and stuff like that right before their degree. Uh, if you're going to make a joke. I I would at least ask that it be not on the same day as a guy's degree. Uh, So if it's like really early in the process, you've just met the guy and you just want to kind of throw a little joke out there about riding a goat. uh, That's okay, especially and and probably should be done with a very clear sense of this is a completely ridiculous idea. uh, So let's laugh about it together. Not I'm going to throw this out there to try to make you nervous. Uh, You know, in all reality, uh, if you're out there and and you think it's fun to make a guy nervous by talking about goats before he gets initiated, I I would just stress that it's not necessary. You're going to take a a man and blindfold him, undress him, put him in a costume, uh, and you're going to lead him into a strange room uh, that may have strange smells if you're using incense Uh, or if you're not using incense either way, Uh, but uh, he's barefoot, he's he's vulnerable, he's uh, blind. Uh, He's nervous already. I mean, it's it's there's really no need to uh, try to intensify that. Uh, So I I think it's an unnecessary joke in that sense. the the only place I and and definitely uh, you you're talking you asked specifically in relation to use during or with a degree I, I I just don't really think it's necessary or needed there or useful in any way, uh, but in the historical sense where we were kind of taking ownership of uh, something that had been used against us, I think there's a lesson there from the goat that we would all do well to to learn. Uh, currently, nationally, the biggest way in which a symbol is being misused uh, to put masonry in a bad light would probably be the eye of providence, which I'm guessing is the same eye that's behind you there, Ainsley. Uh, Yeah. And, And uh, you know, if you show that- One of the reasons
2: for a lot of that kind of confusion between Oddfellows and masonry and copying, because we both use the the all-seeing eye but we all know where it came from before either any of us came along so and it's such yeah. a universal symbol anyway that mm-hmm. it, it belongs to so many cultures that right you know, which yeah, back uh, to the it, egypt
1: you know yeah exactly which which in in that sense maybe then doesn't belong to any culture and, and that's and that's really the point of all these symbols there, there's truth in these symbols they may be depicted slightly differently here and there uh but but We don't own that any more than odd fellows do. So Mm -hmm. I I really appreciate what you're saying there. Uh, But if you show that symbol to a lay person on the street right now, uh, instead of any notion of providence or the Egyptian god Ra or uh, whatever else we would probably think of when looking at it, uh, you're going to have them immediately talking about Illuminati, New World Order, Mm the creepies' ideas that have been built Big around Big Brother's that watching, through. kind of, yeah. The- yeah, yeah. Big Brother. That's actually, uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And uh, I think that's a shame. So, uh, in that sense, perhaps the Eye of Providence is currently the goat or the skull of uh, modern fraternities in America. Uh, In the way that goats and skulls in the 1840s 1830s were being used to put us in a bad light. Uh, So the lesson to be learned, then, would be to figure out a way to uh, Regain ownership of the symbol of the eye of Providence in a way that uh, defeats the anti Masonic causes uh, of today.
2: I guess one way to look at it is that the goat is almost like the goats, the member of the lodge. That nobody really wanted, and you have to figure out how to get along
1: with. In a way, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. That's a great way. With, um,
2: you got, <laughs> but yeah, definitely like with the eye, uh, it definitely gets turned into a more sinister, nefarious thing because it, you know, they're like, oh, well, it's on the back of your money, so that means, <laughs> you know, it's it, you know, it's indisputable. It's on your money. That's what it means. It's the illuminati uh, i mean it's some of the conclusions of you know it gets you know into like to the Earth territory of conspiracy theories yeah of, you know the the robot voice on you uh, on a youtube video like drawing these really weird random distant like trying to connect dots that are not connected but they're like see it's so obvious it's all in plain sight and it's Yeah, definitely. If like you look at the symbols of both our orders and a lot of them are just they're so universal. A lot of them are, you know, out of Judeo Christian backgrounds. Um, Obviously, the goat has a lot of pagan um, Like, uh, like, uh, things that kind of are attached to it. And obviously, that's why it would be a good thing for the anti Masonic movement or any of the um, more of like the the church based anti fraternalism books that were coming out in the 1800s trying to align it more with this either like satanic or witchcraft or pagan or this impure bad thing that you don't know what you're getting into and then you get into it and the next thing you know oh my god I'm a witch you know and (laughs) I feel like that's how they try to make it sound now especially with like the masons where it's like oh well you know the the lower level masons they don't know but when you get up Uh to those upper degrees that's when they reveal the truth to you and it's you know I don't know if it's like you get like a special green bean salad that you're like the, the, the I, final I, casserole or something. There, there are like certain
0: there's things something. we can't disclose. You get into the green beans, i got to cut you off. But... Okay, I'm
2: sorry. I'm <laughs> sorry. I'll, 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 back, I'll back away from, from the, the green bean casserole and the,
0: the
1: case because I know well, that's, that, <laughs> that Everybody knows that's what the G stands for is green beans and goats. Right. Uh, <laughs> you, can, you can tune in at our sister podcast, uh, the G is for gossip, goats and green beans. <laughs> uh, to learn more about that uh, and girls and girls yeah. Uh, but uh, uh, yeah yeah no I, 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 I agree with you it, it makes a lot of sense uh,
2: yeah uh, it's interesting because it's like a lot of these symbols are like what are drawing people like the younger people to it you know like they, they're intrigued by like the eye or the skull or whatever other symbols you know or like in Oddfellows, you know the three links or the heart and hand are right. probably our two big immediate media identifiers and um, people get drawn in by that because they do want to know what, like what is behind it and what's interesting about it. And I don't know with Masonic, you know, stuff, how it works as far as, you know, cleaning up ritual or whatever they try to kind of parade it as by actually eliminating a lot of stuff and streamlining. But you know, we have a lot of talks of that in Odd Fellows and there's a lot of debate on how to go forward and keep, you know, modern, but also, you know, let's reevaluate some of these changes that we've made historically and are they still relevant and do we still need them? And I definitely hope that like the symbols, you know, as misconstrued as they can be by people who are on the outside, but a lot of it is also very common knowledge that it's like well what does that mean to you well that's what it means to us but there's also some further stuff but at the base level I mean you're gonna be like well what does an eye do it sees it looks it's you know and kind of getting into well something looking at you but you looking out and it's it's there's just such a beauty there and it kind of sucks that like the, the, I'm going on a total other tangent with with things but to try to latch onto like one little thing and use that one little thing to try to flip it and harm the groups and try to turn that one little thing that's such a rich valuable lesson and turn it into this total other thing that has absolutely nothing to do with the lesson that it contains or the reminders that are there and it's it's kind of sad because like you know with me like you know like all like, all, like half of my shirts are either for my tattoo shop or they're like Oddfellow shirts. And I'll also have shirts from like some other companies that'll have kind of esoteric look and stuff. But if you look at like the, like the pop culture trend of like the occult esoteric imagery, and you look at like, obviously there's a big design by people who don't know anything about fraternalism. And they're just kind of taking like a mishmash of things and putting them together because it looks cool. But you know, they'll be like, okay, skull, that looks cool. Ooh, eye, that looks cool. And they'll kind of like, make a cool looking picture that it looks like it should mean something deeper than it really does. But it's really just a cool looking picture. But at the same time, it's like almost like, is there a way we could kind of key into that and be like, hey, that's a cool picture you made. Why don't I teach a little bit more about that. And it's I feel like there's like opportunities for both our groups to kind of use that almost as like a way to Use the ignorance that is being spewed, but like the people who might be casually tuning in and catching that bad stuff and try to catch those people before they get sucked too far in to the lies and the misinformation and assume that like, we're all you know, like, we're all gonna like Illuminati confirmed and we're all having secret meetings where we're gonna like, talk about how we're gonna take over the world next or something. And really, we're just hanging out and having fun with our friends and doing some good stuff for the community or you know just talking about life and how to make ourselves better people so it's it's kind of one of those things that's like it makes it seem more complicated and convoluted in ways that it's influential in ways that it's not it turns it into something it's not but also kind of lies in a way that people come into it thinking it's gonna be this thing and then you're like this isn't what i thought it would be at all like where's my secrets to the world and my million dollars i thought i was gonna win or something you know so
1: you didn't get yours
2: i didn't get my million dollars from the oh. <laughs> i'm at the wrong group
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: Off to join that illuminati brotherhood that keeps uh keeps uh messaging me right
1: oh yeah yeah sure you're
2: getting all those too right
1: yeah, yeah. We, uh, so, funny thing, uh, a, a brother uh, brother Mason down in Laredo, Ruben Bassan, uh, he started uh, trolling those uh, bots and scammers who nice. try to recruit you to the Illuminati with a very, very specific theme, the tomato garden. Uh, so, he responds to these guys who are promising him all this wealth and fame and everything. He's like, okay, so that, you know… Uh, that Lamborghini sounds cool, but uh, I've always wanted a tomato garden. Could you guys provide me with a tomato garden? And you can tell in the responses. He shares screenshots, and he'll have these guys going for days on end, uh, where their response is, they're clearly just baffled at well, why the hell the guy's asking for it. To- and they're just like, yeah, sure, we'll give you a damn tomato garden. Just send us your money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's great.
2: That's awesome. Yeah. I, uh, as like a social media admin, I have to delete comments, spamming all the time and banning people. And it's just, yep. it, it sucks that scammers are trying to take advantage of like our, our charity or our charitableness, I guess. So sure. try to be like, Oh, well, y'all are a bunch of suckers probably because you give people money. So you better give me money. And you know, it's kind of one of those things that it's, I don't think it's working so I don't you know what I mean it's I can't imagine anybody is that at this point in the internet game like as far so it, as like it being like a. am a Nigerian prince and you, you've you won the lottery kind of level of bad scamminess to it
1: sadly uh, and, I, and I don't know of case particular cases of it working but sadly I think yeah to you me and Alex uh, it's it's like unfathomable that somebody would be prone to uh, that kind of a scam. Uh, But odds are those people have success with the same demographic that they have success in the general population, which are the older guys. Uh, And and that's probably a big reason they're targeting uh, fraternities like the odd fellows or Freemasonry is our average age is, is pretty high right now. Uh, And uh, between being a charitable organization and being an older organization, uh, we're kind of a soft target for stuff like that.
2: Yeah. And definitely, you know, oh, I want to join. How can I join? There's nothing, you know, it's it's definitely a lot of it is like trying to hook you and lead you into a conversation. And then there comes the, like, because you want to treat everybody. You don't want to profile. You want to treat everybody as an interested candidate. But then it's like you get a couple messages in, and then it definitely, like, you're like, "All right, I, I had my ideas that this was going to go this way, and here it is." And then I got to figure out how to back out of this convo without looking like a, like a, like a jerk, because I'm representing my entire order by talking to you as the the webmaster. So yeah. I'm, it's like, how do how do I pull, how do I manage this without you know making an embarrassment of anybody or appearing a certain way and. Which is it's 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 unfortunate. It's unfortunate, and it takes time away from you know everybody's lives. Yeah. yeah, it takes away. Yeah, the goat gets lonely.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, Ainsley, uh, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on the show tonight. I want to thank you so much for taking time out of your evening and offering up your expertise this evening to fill us in on not just the goat, but also on the uh, just kind of the all around nature of odd fellows for all of us that have been interested. Um, I want to go ahead and take this time to send it around uh, for some final thoughts and also give you an opportunity uh, to throw out any contact information for you, your lodge. I know you've got a tattoo business. Any way people can get a hold of you, uh, learn more. And uh, if they want to talk about it, continue to uh, just a way to drop a line to you. Um, I'll go first then. Um,
2: so yeah, if anybody wants to get a hold of me, I'm pretty easy to find online on Facebook, Instagram, whatever. Um, my tattoo shop is Vintage Karma. Two words, Vintage Karma. And so if you look me up on Instagram, my Instagram handle is at Vintage Karma. And um, you can just look me up by my name on Facebook. Pretty easy to find. And if you want to learn more about the Odd Fellows, uh, definitely check out org and uh if you have any questions um if there's a lodge near you or anything like that and you need help finding somebody or getting somebody to contact you like i know you were i sent you people for kansas uh yeah just pop a message into that contact uh, box and i'll get back to you with some info um also i have me and a friend from arkansas we run a blog called um heart and hand and it's um at oddfellowsguide.com. So if anybody wants to read some kind of up-to-date Oddfellow um writings, that's um pretty much the place to go to. And um if you want to follow the oddfellows on Instagram, it's at the underscore odd underscore fellows.
0: Yep. Very well. Well thank you again for coming on man. Um, I guess for my final thoughts um still kind of in the same spot for me personally. It's not going to go anywhere. I mean, obviously in today's day and age, the, uh, the references are there. People, uh, find light in it, I guess kind of as we connected tonight. Um, I see, I see it on two levels. Um, probably a lot of the guys that are, are making those jokes really aren't as deep into it as I would like them to be. Um, but I, I see that taken away from everyone else's experience to a degree, you know, I, I've read historically in some of the manuscripts of um, why it came around was uh, some of the guys were trying to scare people out of it before they reached their third degree, because then it meant they weren't worthy if they couldn't make it all the way through. You know, I I don't know, there's a lot to be said there, but I, I don't think that has anything to do with who deserves to go through. Um, the morals and the lessons and everything that go into it are very specific. And I think by putting the emphasis here, we're really taken away from what they should be taken away. Um, personal opinion. Um, so, I mean, you know, all in all, I'm, I'm not a crazy fan of seeing it around just, you know, as I mentioned, the, the uh, external precept of how the community outward sees us. Oh, I'm sorry. My Siri keeps wanting to join in the conversation. <laughs> Um, the external precept how the community sees us outrightly they get exploded with this stuff and it's almost like with it coming from masons it's just a confirmation um both of you know connecting their sinister thoughts or just that it's a joke um, from both sides there but definitely more than anything i would just plead if you're gonna make the jokes whatever fine but it really has no place in the degree work um personal opinion uh as i've heard there's other at least a jurisdiction um that does see that it does personally i i just think that's unfortunate um but i'll kick it over to robert for your final thoughts
1: my final thoughts on odd fellows uh thanks so much uh, mr hellick for did i say that right hellick highly like, it's highly like, <laughs> uh, uh for uh enlightening us on on the odd fellows. Uh, I've always found it to be an interesting organization. If uh, Freemasonry didn't already eat up so much of my time, I'd probably look rather seriously into the odd fellows, maybe will someday. Uh, uh, It's interesting to see some of the parallels as well as some of the uh, differences. Thanks a lot for giving us a tour of your lodge. A lot of times, our listeners ask me whenever I visit their lodges, well, should I listen on Spotify? Or should I watch on YouTube? Uh, And uh, in this case, uh, we've got an episode here where it it, it would definitely be worth it to watch the footage. Uh, And uh, as for goats, uh, I I think I've laid out uh, a a fairly reasonable argument in favor of the goat's place in history of Freemasonry. Uh, It definitely served a a valuable purpose, uh, but uh, it's hard to make an argument for it currently, uh, unless all parties involved are well aware that it's a joke and it's not happening uh, at a time when jokes aren't uh, appropriate. So uh, uh, even then, I don't know what it would add to uh, anyone's experience. Uh, and uh, that's what I've got on um, goats and uh, odd fellows. I would also like to uh, thank uh, Brother Powers for finally letting us know what the G stands for and Alex G. Powers.
0: <laughs> Touche.
2: Yeah, I, I think it's just a testament to technology and social media being used for good things, which a lot of people think is good for nothing now. But the fact that, you know, you commented on a you know, on one of Carl's things. Right. And then I commented and then it like, and then yeah. here we are, you know, it just starts with a, you know, a comment or a post on Facebook and here we are. And I think that's, you know, social media done right. Exactly.
0: Yeah. There is definitely uh things out there to learn, um, besides the joke factor. So yeah, this was definitely a, uh, a very beneficial and enlightening conversation. Dude, so much appreciate. I didn't even comment or comment on the Oddfellows side of this uh, program. I guess I- I'll apologize firsthand to the uh, viewers and listeners. This is probably one of the longest episodes of Historical Light we've done, um, but I think it's also one of the uh, most in-depth. Um, really, I mean, we're, we're covering two topics here, right? The first half mm-hmm. of the show, we really dove into Oddfellows and some kind of the, uh, the crossover connections between the two organizations, and we tackled that subject of the GOAT. So, Hopefully you guys stuck around. If you need to watch it in two parts, definitely do that. But I think we got some really valuable information and uh, discussion going through the entire thing. Uh, so I hope you enjoy there. Um, I would definitely uh, advise you guys to check us out on the Facebook group. That is the Historical Light Masonic Research Group on Facebook, where we always continue the conversation to show there. Uh, if you're not a member, make sure you go there, click join and get, on, get in on those conversations. Uh, you know there's a ton of masonic facebook groups out there facebook groups in general um, but we really try to keep this one very specific as so many of the other groups are just kind of a plethora for anything and everything uh, our facebook group for historical light is strictly history um, we vet those comments we keep everything into the uh, masonic research and Masonic the history origin uh, if it's not that it's not going to be on there if it gets on there we're going to get it off of there so Keep that in mind. If you have uh, any interest in Freemasonry, click on and join that group. Uh, uh, Ainsley, you can definitely get in on there as well. It's not awesome about Freemasons, but anyone that has an interest in that subject. So uh, as we continue the conversation there, someone might want to holler at you about some of those cross connections as well. And that'd be a great place to do that. Yeah,
2: absolutely. And I'd love to, you know, in the future be on your show or vice versa. If I get my blog going for the blog, then, you know, definitely. Fantastic. Because I feel like we just barely scratched that surface of the crossover as well. There's so much that, you know, our common commonality that kind of that I feel like we could all learn from one another. And oh, it, for sure. Yeah, I, I think, you know, kind of coming from a place of learning as opposed to a competitive standpoint, which I think some people yeah. think it has to be a competition and it doesn't. It's there's room for, you know, it's not like you got to pick.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, in in closing, let's, let's do this. We will continue the conversation in the group. I'm challenge everybody to listen to those comparisons that we went through and bring up anything else that maybe you have questions on in deeper, or maybe that we didn't touch on. And we will go ahead and right now plan a part two of the comparisons between Odd Fellows and Freemasons. And we'll make sure that we continue that conversation. So uh, if you're in that group, make sure you drop us a line on what you thought about the episode, what you thought about the comparisons, what other questions you might have. And we'll make sure we have a part two and we'll dig into it even deeper because I can guarantee, like you're saying, it's a very true statement of we could probably do five or six episodes on just yeah. that. Uh, I know in Freemasonry, I describe it as an onion a lot. You can really go as yep. many layers deep as you like to. And I'm sure uh, a lot of that resembles over into the Fellows as well. So I think we could have some lively conversations there. Absolutely. Um, one thing Brother Robert touched on was our sister podcast. I do want to give them a shout out. That is the uh, G is for gossip. It's a new podcast and YouTube show like this. that's hit the market. Um, they're doing something really unique and interesting. So they're talking about everything in Freemasonry, right? They're talking, uh, touching on all the subjects and their thoughts on it, but from a different perspective than we've seen before. They're doing it from the ladies' perspective, and that's, that's kind of a, like a weird subject in Freemasonry, right? We don't have ladies, but Masons have ladies. So this show is taking everything in Freemasonry from the wives and the girlfriends and ladies' perspective of how they address to it, how they relate to the teachings of stuff in Masonry that gets brought home, how it affects their family, how it just affects them being involved by dating or being married to a Mason and how that all translates out. So it's a really cool show. They're just getting started out. I want you guys to go check them out. They're all over the place as well. They're Facebook, everywhere. So give them a listen, give them a view and uh, show them some love. I think they got a great thing going on and I want to see it uh, expand for them. Uh, I'm really proud of what they're doing. I think it's a conversation that needs to be had and hopefully uh, grow the community of Masonic ladies out there to come a little more tight knit because I think that does play in uh, very well. Uh, as we always mention at you know, Grand Lodge festivities and everything else, it's, it's important to thank the ladies because we can't do what we do without their support, at least not well. It doesn't translate over. So with that, I know we've covered a ton tonight. I hope you all enjoyed and definitely go check out the Facebook group for more. Uh, if you do enjoy Historical Light, you can definitely support the show by going to the website, uh, click on, uh, what is it, contribute, something like that totally forgetting, drawing a blank here, but you can do that safely and securely through the means of PayPal and uh, keep the lights on for the show. We'd greatly appreciate your support, but until next time, protect history, seek light. This is all we got guys. Masonic history is what it is. It's disappearing before our eyes. So go out there, research, recover, and promote it. Until next time, we'll see you in the group. Keep seeking light. See you brothers.